Good morning. Hey, good morning, TJ. How are you? Doing well. Doing well, Drew. How are you? I'm good. Tired, but good. Yep, I feel that. It's been a full week. Hi, Drew. For me, Hi, for everybody. There's a lot going on in the world, too. I know that's that's yeah. been affecting my mental health quite a bit, um, as well as other people's. I'm sure people feel... Uh, I feel a little on edge just about the whole thing, to be honest. Um, I'm an empathetic person and yeah. everything's got me really like mentally drained, probably exactly how you feel. Like it, it's on top of already a demanding schedule. Um, yeah. And then just being tired, mentally, physically, just exhausted. I'm uh, advocating for coach mental health days off. If you need one, take it. <laughs> um, make sure you get, you know, your weekend in to um, Saturday. Okay. One day off goes pretty quickly. So take advantage of it as much as you can. Try to get some extra sleep. <laughs> you can get the kids to, uh, to give you a, a break. Um, just do your best. That way, you know, when you are showing up to, support others you can do so from a fresh place hi um, nico nico's giving virginia smoochies yeah pet your dog helps <laughs> well cool um i don't i think uh it'll just be us and kylie and sarah today drew um kristen is out Um, but yeah, awesome. We might as well just jump right in. Not too much banter today. Um, maybe, st uh, stick to the script more or less. Um, we wanted to, script. yeah, the script. This is not a script. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the outline. We have uh, an outline. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Sarah, who is a wonderful coach, Sarah. but also uh, one of Zoe's athletes, had a really incredible race over the weekend, finished uh, first, and beat a really strong professional runner in the process. Beat all the men. And all the dudes. Um, so hell yes to that. Um, we're going to take some time to, yeah, spotlight uh, Sarah a little bit on this call um, recap with her how the race went her preparation maybe talk a little bit about um, her mindful approach to her uh, race day preparation um, training and, and racing itself um, I know just by following Sarah along on social media um, and fireweed and all of that, that she, um, yeah, utilized a really awesome, uh, set of like mindfulness tools to help her, uh, through the event. So really interested in, in diving in a little bit with that. Um, a cold weather vertical event, which like, oh God, <laughs> that's a lot to manage, but like, I feel like also this is where like Sarah's a lot of her like very specific like things that I didn't worry about as a coach I'm like okay she's like like 
she's got kind of the mom swag of like, if we were, if I was stranded on a desert island with Sarah, I know that she would have like brought snacks enough for everyone and like layers. Like she's just got you covered. So I know that she has herself covered. So like all the stuff that would make me extremely anxious about this event, I feel like Sarah's just like got it. Um, so I'm excited to hear kind of like how she, and I'm sure it's not as simple as that either, but I'm, I'm stoked to learn about how she managed that because like, I get like real anxious having to do like, or not real anxious, but like, I don't like love even just like running around town when it's cold enough to have to wear leggings. Yeah. Zoe, maybe, um, you could ask Sarah a couple questions. I know, um, you know, you mentioned a, quite a few, like really amazing points in your rag weekend update for Sarah for this week. Um, and I felt like that could be, I don't know, just a nice jumping off point to, to ask Sarah some questions about, you know, how she felt like her training went leading up to this, maybe some things that she's done differently on this time around compared to, um, you know, in, in other events and things like that. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm just really curious to see, um, you know, what, what changes have been happening for Sarah, like over time. Yeah, I think like from coach perspective, something that we worked on a good bit was like not going out and trying to necessarily chase vert because where she lives near Boulder is not necessarily like it's not super dry, not all the trails are in. But we did try to do some really intentional focused uphill efforts in the form of uphill tempos, particularly during long runs. So like making the legs turn over going uphill, even when tired. Um, and then additionally tiring out the legs a little bit and then making her finish a long run on, you know, slightly more tired legs, but really trying to, instead of like reinforcing like uphill slogitude, really trying to like make her body run strong uphill and like practicing that super, super intentionally. Um, but not necessarily like, again, even though it's like a really steep, right? Like it's a pretty vertical race. You run up for air. Um, not not hitting that over the head too too much and still continuing to focus on on um economy and i'd love to know how that felt for sarah and she also we had some like kind of like not quite injury but some like body challenge mitigation going on and i think sarah handled that really well working with her pt pulling back when we needed to um yeah i don't know sarah I'd love to know like kind of how the training, like how that story played out for, for you and like where you started to feel confident. Like, again, something that I always like to work with athletes on after races, I'm like, how do we break this down to a start, stop, continue, or like Rosebud Thorn? like what's working well? What are we going to, what do we need to do more of? What are we going to start doing? What are we going to stop doing? Like what didn't work? Deprioritize, get that out of, out of my mind. And what are we going to continue doing? Yeah. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. So, <laughs> uh, so the train, you know, that when I first started with microcosm, like my story was like, I love the big winter days with my friends, like slogging, slogging all the time. And I, remember like one, like very early on in the process, wanting to do like beer stat on a Saturday and Zoe being like, mm, probably be better to just like run. 
on this Saturday if we're trying to build your Consider running not doing a 14er. Like, but this is like my thing and I'm not able to do my thing and feeling like frustrated with that. And now like this went, I mean, I did 90% of my runs on the Boulder Creek path. Um, like just on this path, it was the only thing that was dry. And I was like, okay with that. It, I didn't feel resentful about it because I knew like when the trails were dry, I would have fun on them and get what I could out of them. And it would be like a great use of my time. Um, but like, mostly I was like, I, you know, certainly on the weekdays, I, I was running my runs. And so like that meant either, you know, a treadmill or dry trail, if I could find it, sometimes it meant, um, slick sidewalk near my house or something like that with the, um, yak tracks, but not really very often. Um, so that was a big shift. I mean, I used to be like, well, it says, 16 miles. And so I'm going to go and spend six hours slogging through snow, which was like, not actually the intention of the workout. Right. And so I, I think I had a, I understand. Yeah. The why behind the workouts and then try to take that into, you know, planning the route or whatever. So there were some weekend runs, like I had a five hour effort that was on trail and it was snowy conditions, some icy conditions. And I thought that was good because that was probably realistic to what I'd see on race day, because I was going to be doing trail winter conditions. So it's like important to get some of that, um, but not too much. Um, and like, frankly, like, I think I used to also really like disrupt my family weekends, trying to get some of that specificity on trail. Um, and like this year, I really haven't done that. I'm like, well, like I could drive up to Boulder and, uh, get on trail, or I could like get this road run in, in two hours from my house. And like, that gives me the rest of the afternoon with the family. So, you know, I think it really has been a big shift in like, I'm still doing my runs. I'm still showing up for my workouts. I'm still prioritizing running, but like, I'm also prioritizing all the other things in my life. And I think that really helps. Um, and then, yeah, the injury piece, like that happened. I did this treadmill workout in Miami. So Miami was like this horrible week where I didn't hit any of my workouts and I was feeling really low, but I did go out every single day, but like every day I, I didn't complete the workout. And that's, um, that was like a low week emotionally. Cause I was like, I'm going to sea level and it's going to be so great. And I'm going to like crush these runs. And then I've, you know, walked every run, hated the humidity. And then I did, I ended up on a treadmill and then got pretty wrecked from that treadmill run. It was like a hill workout on a treadmill, a speed workout on a treadmill. It wasn't a great idea. My body's not used to treadmills and it, yeah. So, um, that derailed me, but I did, I just took some days off and just like it hurts or I'll run until it hurts and then I'm not going to run anymore. And so that meant like my 16 mile long run ended up being a 10 mile long run. Um, and you know, that feels like a really big difference, but trusting that, you know, I've been running for years now and like, I could have done 16. I'm capable of doing 16 just because I didn't hit that number on that day. Like I did what I could do. So just a lot more acceptance with, um, 
you know, how I'm showing up and like when, when I don't fit it all in, I've been much more like, I definitely never hit the high end of my mileage. So every Friday I have the option of cross training or four miles. And I don't think I've ever, um, done the four miles. Um, sometimes I just forget that I have the option on Fridays cause it's a new thing. Um, but also I'm just like, I don't ever feel like running on Fridays. Um, and I, so I don't, and I feel okay with that. I don't need to hit the high end of the mileage. Um, and so then in terms of mindfulness preparation, like first mindfulness for preparation, um, so really like exploring my fears. So this was a 24 hour run, um, on trail started at 6 PM. Um, so, uh, and it was like negative 12 degrees at some point. Um, so very cold. So, you know, a lot of fear about like animals, <laughs> uh, in the night wildlife, um, just being alone. Like it was not a full moon by any means, my equipment freezing and not having lights, my food, my, um, water bottles freezing, which like absolutely happened all night. Um, you know, and so all of these things I like, sat with and examined and explored. So at first, you know, somebody says, well, what are, are you worried about this race? I'm like, oh no, it's going to be great. I, like everything's going to be fine. I'm excited about it, which is like the instinct to say like, no, it's cool. I've got it. And then, you know, I challenged myself to think, well, what really am I afraid of? Because this is a big thing. You know, it's like, I'm out in the wilderness alone. I mean, I'm really alone. Um, and so allowing myself to be honest that like, I am afraid and this is scary. And it like, there are risks involved and then taking that information and planning. So buying insulated water bottles and, um, finding out that scratch has this amazing hot apple cider drink that if you use hot water, it is like, if anybody's running a winter race, I highly recommend it. It was very tasty. It's got 80 calories um, and electrolytes and like definitely was really important part of my evening, um, you know, and then like backup battery, you know, I just took each of my fears and then tried to recognize, you know, what of these fears are things that I can manage or control? Or are there things I can invest in or strategies that I can have? And then, you know, I address those. And then some of the things like, no, like they're right. Like there are mountain lions in this part of the state. And like, I can't control that. That's not a thing I can control. Um, and so, uh, and I'm going to be running at dusk and dawn, right? Like those are also things I cannot control and I will be alone. And so I just had to recognize that like there were going to probably be times during my race where I would feel afraid um, and then just know that and accept it and have some plans for, um, you know, how I will move forward and not, you know, typically my fear response is to freeze. Um, so when I'm strategizing how I'm going to, manage anxiety out on the race course, I'm thinking about moving forward because um, in all likelihood, what would happen to me would be that I would just panic and stop until and wait for somebody to come by. Um, but so I explored all those things ahead of time and just like allowed myself to sort of anticipate the fear. So that way, if I experienced the fear in the trail, it would potentially be less impactful because I've sat with that feeling before and um, my body is now more comfortable with the feeling because of that work that I've done. 
Um, and then, yeah, on the, in terms of mindfulness during race day, really just turning to that, um, like present moment awareness, like really into counting to seven, my footsteps, like that would be great. Um, and, um, just, uh, so I'm really proud of my eating, um, during this race, like nailed it. Kylie would be so proud. Like, Every 30 minutes I was eating a gel. I had my, um, my scratch, which had the calories in it. And then when I got back to the tent, I was eating a lot. Um, but that, um, so that really gave me things to focus on. So it was literally just like hyper-focus on getting to the next place where I would eat a gel, um, and knowing exactly where on the trail that was. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, really tuning into, the present moment and then things like noticing when I became over, you know, emotional, right? So like, of course that happened after many hours and getting tired and different feelings coming up. Um, so, you know, I was cold, like going out for the, my last night loop. Um, I cried because I was just like, I don't want to do this. Like I don't have any desire to leave this heated tent with people and food and go out into negative 12 degrees by myself in the dark and have to work. Right. And so I was emotional. So one, I let myself have those feelings, said what I was feeling, cried for 30 seconds and said, this sucks, felt it. And then I, um, recognized like, okay, my sympathetic nervous system is like, you know, in overdrive here. So I'm taking some deep breaths. I'm, and I'm recognizing that there's an emotional piece to this. That's not based on my actual experience. And then the other piece was my, um, my default mode network. So that part of your brain, that's like your storytelling brain, you know, when that would start to get activated. So I get passed on the downhills. I'm so terrible at downhills. This is going to be my thing. It doesn't matter how, how hard I work these uphills, you know, I can never make up for how much people pass me on the downhills, you know, as soon as I get past, I'm like in this slump with this story about how much I suck at downhills. So then I'm like, oh, I'm telling myself a story. That's my default mode network, which of course is activated because I'm not doing anything, which is when that mode is activated. So the, when we're running, the primary thing happening in our brain is this story right, running in the background. And so it's catching, so using mindfulness to catch that story taking place and then tell myself a different story or change it. So, yeah, I think I awesome. answered the primary question. <laughs> yes. You nailed that. So much good information there. And I hope um, everybody listening and who's going to listen later will, you know, just be able to take some interesting bits of information out of there. A few things that uh, resonated with me. We're normalizing your fears and your feelings. Um, I think that's really important. It's, you know, when you're running out in the backcountry, when you're out there alone, this is something that I can definitely relate to. I get really nervous about wildlife encounters. Um, and in like being in a remote area, I get really nervous about uh, things like that. And I think that like in the process of normalizing these things, we can sort of confront how we're feeling and um, <clears throat> kind of come to a place of more balance or centeredness so you can actually go out there 
um, and approach it a little bit more logically, um, which for me, I find is an important process. Um, as we discussed in past calls, the logical approach isn't for everybody. Um, another thing that I'm hearing, uh, kind of like the acceptance around um, imperfect training leading up to an event. Um, I think this is something that also is, is just like so important to normalize with the team um, because no matter like how well or how derailed the training is leading up to race, like we're in charge of our own stories. So we can still go out there and make the best of race day. Um, and so when your training goes perfectly, there's no guarantee that your race will. And when your training goes imperfectly, there's no guarantee that your race won't go really well. Um, and so if we jump to conclusions, extrapolate, uh, from kind of those experiences and then say, well, this is how things are going to go based on these facts. Um, sometimes we, we end up, uh, putting a barrier, um, kind of in place that affects how we actually do on race day as coaches. I know we've all seen athletes who it's like, well, wow, I'm extreme. Like that race went really, really well. I'm surprised because your training wasn't that good. Um, and there's also been situations where it's like, wow, I just don't have an explanation for why that race didn't go your way because you absolutely nailed your training. And sometimes that's part of the process. And so I like hearing when athletes kind of have that acceptance going into an event, like my training was great. My training, you know, maybe lacked a few things that I can work on later, but I, you know, this is the day I have to let this day unfold. I'm going to write the story moment to moment rather than, you know, pre write my log entry about how the day didn't go well because my training wasn't, you know, where it should have been. Um, and I think that like right there, that lesson for athletes, super, super important. Um, to me that relates directly back to that idea of the infinite mindset where, you know, every day we're starting from kind of this zero mentality and we're writing our own story moment to moment. Um, so I, you know, those are a couple of things that really, um, yeah, just stood out to me. Hope it did for you guys too. Yeah. And even though Sarah's training wasn't necessarily like picture perfect, uh, you know, the deeper context of that is that like 99% of the time she shows up, gets it done. Right. Like, it's not like, oh, it was like such a cluster fudge and she succeed like for years, her training has been rock solid imperfect yes but like rock freaking solid and that's really where you see this stuff start to come out is like yeah you can have like an injury setback and like yeah you can miss a couple long runs training for a 24-hour event when you just have like years of really hard work behind you um so like I don't want to like you know the narrative again like yes imperfect training but like with the deeper background of like a lot of really good training too. Well, I think that kind of goes back to this point that um, you don't, this isn't about perfection. <clears throat> Excuse me. This isn't about perfection. This is about progress. Um, and so when you zoom out and you you look at things in terms of like, Sarah's really good at showing up. She gives herself the best chance she can every day to do the work. And that's like 99% of this process. 
you know, like those workouts or long runs that like you really nail, like that's great. Hell yes to that. But really that's just like, that just gives you like a little extra motivation to get back out there like the next week to stack those bricks again and to do the work again. It makes the process like a little bit more sustainable, but what we're really looking at is just being really good at showing up. Like if you get out there and do like the minimum of your mileage range, Oh yeah. Most 99% of the time. And only once in a while you get your extra Friday run in, or you do like 10 miles instead of eight. Yeah. Like you might have a few extra points going into that race, but that's not, that's not what our focus is. Our focus is on that. Like the fact that you completed the range of miles somewhere in the range of miles, 99% of the time. And you gave yourself that chance and that stuff really, really adds up. Um, Yeah. Especially when you're looking at things in terms of like years rather than just like a couple of weeks strung in a row or a few months strung in a row. When you're looking at that in terms of like one year down, two years down, getting into three years down, like that's when that consistency, it's like, boom, then you have like a big breakthrough. Yeah. If you do the minimum amount of miles every day for years, you're going to be fine. Like I never need to see Sarah run on a Friday really, because I know that she's going to be out there five days a week, like no problem. Yeah. And I, and I do want to say that, um, Sarah, I think it's important also that you, you really normalize that. I think for a lot of people and what you said, um, just realizing like, it's okay that you don't do that optional Friday run. Like that's optional truly means optional. Yeah, like, it's not a test. <laughs> right. It's, like, it's, it's, it's an option. And the fact that you recognize that and probably this is the part of being a mindful person, working on your mindfulness muscle, having the awareness that like Friday runs, I, they don't feel that great. I'd rather rest. And that rest allows me to elevate the quality of my weekend runs. I get more out of those runs. Um, and just knowing when to like, when to hold yourself back a little bit too. Um, this is something that I talked about a lot at the beginning of this year in my own training. And so it can really relate is to wanting to finish runs feeling good rather than eking out a couple extra miles that kind of didn't feel as good mentally or physically. And I think that's really important for athletes. So I'm just going to mention it again. Like you've got that mileage range for a reason. Like if you're not feeling that good at the end of 10 miles, you know, maybe eight miles is, is more appropriate. And so use that mileage range. Um, Sarah, obviously she did that really successfully in her training and just having that extra mental capacity at the end of the day, it makes it a lot easier to get out the next day. And it's going to allow you to just show up to your race feeling a lot more mentally fresh. And so much of this is mental um, we really can't kind of like overstate that, um, when you show up to these events and you're in a good frame of mind, you feel fresh mentally, you're able to go a lot farther than you think and push yourself a lot harder. You've kind of got this extra bandwidth to work with. Well, cool. I hope you guys, uh, enjoyed hearing a little bit from Sarah about that. We might, I, I kind of want to, to regroup with her on this, um, maybe one more time to talk about her process oriented goals, um, as well. Cause I think that that could be interesting. I know a lot of you guys have, um, at least a lot of my athletes have been kind of reaching out for advice on, um, creating process oriented goals since our previous call was about that, but we've got a few other things. So let's kind of, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move the conversation forward. Um, 
Yeah, maybe in the same vein, um, we'll talk a little bit about some wellness related questions to kind of start um, this next, next segment off. Um, we had somebody write in, um, these are tips for, for finding the right balance of structure and rigidity um, and flexibility with goals and training. Um, and so one of the questions is, how can I balance my training better with other things going on in my life? Um, yeah, I would love to hear from like Kylie or Drew, maybe to start us off on this one. <laughs> Balancing <clears throat> training with other things in life. Yeah, I'd love to hear Drew. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, I'll, uh, I'll try to chirp in first here. Um, it's difficult to, to balance life, especially when it's busy. You don't have to be like me and have multiple jobs and kids and all kinds of projects going on, including your own training. But, um, what's helped me specifically with everything that's gone on is trying to prioritize, um, just life in general. I I'm a list person. I know that others aren't for good reasons, but I like to make a list of the things that are important. Um, to, to me on a daily basis, almost like keeping like a planner or a schedule, um, where if I don't plan my runs, they just don't happen. If I don't plan my meals, they don't happen. Um, it's just, everything has to be planned almost to the point where I have to like, it's almost embarrassing at this point. And I know it'll get better, but I have to plan like, okay, from 7.30 to 8.30, I'm going to like hang out with my wife for an hour and like talk about our day and like, just, just, hang out for a little bit. Like it's gotten to that point, but everything for me has to be planned. Um, that can help me deal with stress. Sometimes I get stressed out when I am thinking like, I don't know when I'm going to fit my run in today, which probably means it's not going to happen. And when I don't run, I don't feel good. And I need to feel good. Cause later today I've got a line review with a representative and just it snowballs out of control. Um, so that's kind of my, um, tip, I guess, for, for balancing training. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What do you think, Kylie? What helps you? Um, no, I'm kind of, I'm similar in the respect of I've gotten in the habit of at the beginning of the day, like making a list of what the like MITs are the most important tasks for the day, um, are that need to get done. Um, and I've also like blocked out time on my schedule for training. Um, so I think, you know, there are things that are going to come up that might interrupt the schedule, but, um, as far as, you know, training goes, or even like when I'm working with my athletes on nutrition, um, block out the time. Cause, uh, you know, you, it's harder to make excuses if you actually, um, block that out for yourself. Um, and thinking about like what your week entails ahead of time as well. Like if there are certain events going on with kids, et cetera, um, you, you gotta kind of make, I think you have to think about it as like, what are my, also, what are my priorities? You know, um, you, if you're wanting to, um, make running a priority and reach certain running goals, then, then making that like part of your schedule, um, I think is really important. Um, so, so that's kind of, I mean, when I'm working with people, like the actual blocking out of time, I think is, is what I recommend. And then with the, 
like same thing with nutrition, like nutrition should be part of your training or part of your week. So if you have that scheduled into your week to plan for 30 minutes, then it may not happen still, but uh, at least it's on that calendar and you can't say, oh, you know, I ran out of time. I can't focus on my nutrition or something. Something that I've kind of struggled with is being okay with taking a few days off where if, if life happens, which it does for all of us, um, we're all fortunate to have life happen, right? That, that I will get down on myself if I miss a scheduled run, um, because just something came up, um, and trying to find this balance where you understand that it's okay to like miss a few days, like Sarah mentioned in her deal, um, she needed a few days kind of just to like reset and like regroup before she got back on, on the horse again, so to speak. Um, and, and balancing being okay with that, but also understanding that you can't have a three day rest window every week. You know, you gotta be dedicated and you gotta prioritize. Um, and, and so, and I know that I'm not the only one that struggles with that, but that's kind of an ongoing thing. And, um, like, like we've, you know, talked a lot here, um, scheduling has been a big help to me trying to balance those two things. I think like chatting with your coach too, if you, I've done that before, I'll like message my coach, like, Hey, you know, I have a stressful day. Is it okay? If like we switch these two days and they're usually like, yeah, that's fine. Um, but you know, don't just get in the habit of switching things around on the schedule either, because we try to intentionally like include workouts and long runs and things on certain days. But I think, um, you know, if, if there is something particularly stressful, being okay with like asking your coach, that's what we're here for. Um, and I will usually like look ahead and I'll be like, Oh, I have this like kind of this busy day coming up too. So you can kind of look ahead sometimes. Um, I know it gets busy last minute too, but just, um, if you look ahead, sometimes you could always ask ahead of time too, like, Hey, what could we do something, switch something up a little bit this week? Yeah. Something that I have been doing to kind of help make sure I can get stuff done that needs to get done is I make a not to do list for every day. That is like a tool that helps me not spend time on things that are like, I'll identify before I get going in the day when I have a clear head, like, do not do this. Like, do not scroll on social media. Do not obsess about analytics. Do not waste time trying to like manage people's emotions via email. Cause I'll get like really bogged down trying to write like the nicest email ever to like a grown ass man when that's just like a poor way. Like I should just be like, nope, deal. Like however you feel about however I come across in this email, that's like on you. That's not on me to like take on the labor of managing how you feel about stuff. Um, and I think a big reframe for me was like, as I kind of just grew in my athletic journey, being okay with owning it. And like, I used to feel like, oh, well, I'm not that good. So like, I have to really deprioritize the run and I'll do it at like the end of the day when I don't, you know, that way people don't have to rearrange anything for me. Now I'm like, no, like I'm going to set, like I have every day in my calendar, something that auto syncs to my Slack channel where it just shows like an icon by my name of me running so that people know like, oh, you don't message Zoe for these two hours a day. Like no matter what, like that's Zoe's time. You do not get to schedule a meeting with her. You do not get to Slack her because like that's her time and people can deal with that. It's only two hours. Um, 
And like, I understand that not everyone has the ability to maybe have as much um, control over their schedule. But I think that if you allow yourself to really own your running and then you make decisions accordingly and you not try to minimize your own athletic journey, minimize the amount of space that it can take up, that, that can be a helpful reframe for, uh, reframe for, for folks. Um, and again, like I, I acknowledge this comes from a place of like, I have the ability to just like take a two hour lunch break whenever on, on most days, whenever I want. Um, well, I mean, you start work at six and you end work at usually after six. So I think any reasonable, I'm just going to back you up here. Any reasonable person would put get two hours during their day to do something like that with that kind of uh, schedule, which I think is yeah. too much. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like, I do feel that it is earned, but I also understand that like the tips I'm giving are not appropriate or relevant for like everyone. Totally, um, but I-, I Like do... Drew can't just piece out in the middle of the day at a retail store. No, but <laughs> let me just jump in here. I think um, something that I'm hearing that everyone can relate to is don't minimize your the importance of your athletic journey. If that's something that feels good to you, if that is something that relates to who you are, who you want to be, your what you value, that's important. And so, you know, when we relate that to how we prioritize things throughout the day, you know, maybe you don't have as flexible as of a job. And so that always has to be number one. Um, but you can put running as number two, you know, yeah. and that's okay. And so as soon as we say like, well, I'm not good enough to prioritize my running in that way. So I'm not going to run before I go to work or I'm not going to schedule a run like I would a meeting. As soon as we like, say that yeah, kind of I stuff. Yeah, I would get comfortable just like ask, like people would ask to do meetings during my running time. And I would actually be like, no, that's like, that's my time. Um, we can do it a different time. If that, like, if there was like, if it totally didn't work for them, I, I am willing to comp, I'm somewhat willing to compromise but like, if it's like a colleague that has like, is a caretaker, um, that's something I'm always super flexible on. But like, if, you know, I, I do also really try to like save that time. Like, I'm not going to like, just like chat. <laughs> right. But again, you know, I, again, I, and it's not that you're not empathetic. Um, even though I think you came across as rather strong at first, you are very empathetic. And so I know that you do uh, make concessions based on each person that you work with. But, but I also really do try to model for like my team, like now that I'm responsible for a team, I'm, I really try to like show that it's okay to take time for yourself and not compromise. Because I think like as someone that really encourages the people, like the people that work for me, I really try to stress the importance of them taking that time for themselves on a schedule that works for them. Like I have to model that in my own behavior and I have to really support them when they set those guardrails for themselves. Absolutely. But yeah. And I just want to go back to minimizing the athletic journey really quick um, just to get that point in. But I know a lot of us, if we set that narrative that I'm not a good runner, so I don't have to prioritize this it's easy to get in the habit of not reaching your goals of not progressing as a runner, you know, Zoe making a mental shift there to say, you know, I am a good runner. I deserve to do this. I deserve to prioritize this as something that I enjoy is that helps her bring the balance between work and life and running um, to a better place. And so if we say I'm not good enough, I don't deserve this. Um, not only does that narrative make it more difficult to progress, but it's going to make it more difficult to prioritize things. So I would think about like those narratives that you're telling yourself 
Um, again, you know, try to relate them back to like, who do you want to be? What are your values? What do you want to prioritize? Um, and also know that like, it's okay if these things shift a little bit, depending on like what you have going on on any given day. Um, you know, Sarah illustrated that I think really well in, um, in talking about kind of her road to her successful race over the weekend. Um, and I also, I think it's really important for athletes in the context of this question to ask yourself deeply about the goals you're setting for yourself. If you are in a, a difficult period of work or you've got extra responsibilities at home, um, you know, maybe setting yourself up with a goal that's more achievable, something that is going to allow you to do, you know, a little bit less training might be more advantageous to the process, especially the long-term process. You know, if you put a hundred mile goal on the plan, but you've only got time to run 30 minutes a day, that's a problem. So we need to be really realistic with um, the goals that we set as well as part of helping to maintain that balance and that flexibility. I've got some athletes who are really great at this. They recognize like the time of year where they're really busy and they won't put any big goals on their plan during that time of year. And they'll email me like six months in advance. This time of year, I'm really busy. It's a big work push happens. Like their awareness is strong. Like if this happens every year. This is when like we need to work on speed, do lower volume training. And then, you know, winter is really good for my long race. So I'm always going to do like a, a race in Hawaii that's 100 miles because that's when I've got time. That's when I've got those four months to really train. Um, and so those priorities, they're shifting in a small way, but in a very mindful, I think, and, and forward looking way. Um, and that's very helpful. Um, I think there's this other part of the, the question about staying grounded um, in training and goals when things get challenging. Um, you know, that's just such an important piece to this as well. Um, for me, you know, again, it goes back to kind of like the narratives that we tell ourselves. Um, you know, when things are hard, do I have to run 10 miles when my mileage range is eight to 10? No, I don't. Um, eight is fine. Even less if, if there's a particularly challenging day is great. Um, back to what Kylie, you know, mentioned earlier, you know, switching days around um, sometimes to help facilitate bringing up the quality, particularly like a workout day. This is something that I, when I was working in, in restaurants and having like a lot of really, really late nights um, that I would do with my coach is like on a Wednesday, I was really tired from a long Tuesday night. I'd be like, hey, can I shift it, push this up one day? I'm, you know, today is my day off and I'm going to feel a lot better tomorrow as a result. And then I'd get more out of the workout. Um, and so, you know, you can stay grounded in your goals, but also be aware kind of of some of the, the pitfalls in this process. You know, if you don't feel like you're enough because you didn't get 10 miles in when your, your range is eight to 10, um, that's something that you can internally that you need to work on or work on with your coach, um, maybe work on with, uh, you know, a, a counselor or something like that, um, because we kind of want to get to those root causes. So you, it can be easier for you to make that decision. Um, anyways, that's kind of my, my perspective on that, you know, give yourself a break. Don't write that story, um, ahead of time. would love to hear about from, you know, maybe from Drew or, um, 
or from Kylie about, you know, staying grounded even when things are hard. Or Sarah, who just popped back on. Sarah? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think there's like a cup, you know, it's like, are we talking about, you know, in the middle of a difficult run or like in like, you know, when you're injured in the middle of a training block and you had big goals for you, right? Like those are kind of two different things. Um, so, you know, thinking about, um, thinking about like, if it's that, that second one where your goals get sidelined or like, there are some things outside of your control that impact your goals. And so now that journey that we wanted to be linear, like just get us straight to, uh, you know, the finish line is now has these obstacles in the way. So um, first is just like knowing that that's the process for most people um, and, and recognizing those obstacles. And like, I think that infinite mindset of stepping back and being like, this is just one little paragraph in my big story and right now it feels like intense because it's the paragraph I'm reading but like it's just this little thing in the big story and um knowing that whatever's happening in this month and in this training block or whatever good or bad isn't the whole story and things will you know ebb and flow so I think really trying to embrace some of those mindful attitudes like patience and trusting the process and not striving, you know, just like being in this present moment and where we're at um, can be really helpful. Something and turning to your help. people, your community. Sorry, Drew. Yeah, that's no, that's, that's great. Sorry for interrupting. Um, I wanted to say something that kind of helps me is when things are going well and I'm running well and everything just seems like sunshine and rainbows, I have a really easy time of um, having a, a a deeper, longer view. Like I can look at the month or the, or the quarter and be like, man, everything, like I plan it all out. Um, but I find it's helpful to me when I have a bad run or I have a bad week as I really try to compartmentalize and be like, okay, this was one day it's over. Like I'm, I'm done with it. Tomorrow's a new day. What can I do now to prepare myself to have a good day tomorrow? Or what can I do now to help myself prepare to have a good week next week? Um, and, and just kind of mentally switching gears, um, helps me stay grounded and, and not like, Oh, well, this whole week's gone to shit. And I, how's that going to affect my goals in a negative way and just spiraling out of control and in a negative way. So that might be helpful to you as well. Yeah. Drew, um, just to jump in really quickly, I think one of, uh, the concepts that you've consistently bring to these conversations is that idea of preparation. I think it's a really strong concept um, where you have a, a tough day, a day where things feel challenging in the training process. Maybe life's happenings are creeping in, kind of keeping you from doing the volume or getting the quality of training in that you would normally like to see yourself getting. Um, just taking that step back zooming out and, and recognizing like what you can control. Okay. I can control like a lot of my preparation. Like tonight I can focus on getting in a good meal, getting that protein in. So, you know, I can, that can help with muscle repair. So that way tomorrow, you know, what I'm able to do as a runner in my training is going to feel a little bit better. And that can help kind of turn that tide. When we really shift to those things that we can control, you know, sleep, 
how we eat, getting in those little extra sessions of like PT strength, foam rolling, that kind of stuff that like over time really adds up, keeps us healthy. Um, you know, when we consider that as preparation, that all those little habits lead us into the next day and set us up for success, we can kind of get, hopefully steer the ship, get into some smoother waters, get out of that kind of cycle of, of tough days. Um, I mean, that, I love that concept. It's something that you, I never thought about considering, I call it recovery, you call it preparation. I think that that's super important. Um, that's something that I got from you that like, I'm always thinking about in the context of my training now. I think it's super strong. Um, yeah, Kylie, what do you think? I feel like I don't have anything like earth shattering to add to the conversation here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I would just say we move to a next question. <laughs> Well, I, I did want to um, go back to Sarah then for one second. Um, Sarah, you mentioned like trusting the process. And um, I think having that like that trust, that faith aspect um, that like your journey is headed in the right direction, that you're surrounded by supportive people who have your best interests in mind, who are helping to guide you in that direction that you're doing the right little things and that you've chosen the right path all of that can is like really really important to cultivating an athletic life that full of like continual progression um and hopefully accomplishing some goals that are meaningful to you and things like that but i'm just i'm wondering like if an athlete's struggling to trust the process what advice you might have Yeah. Um, you know, I think one thing is like looking back and because sometimes it's hard for us to recognize our progress in the moment. And, uh, when we're looking to where we want to be, um, and sometimes it can be nice to like, think about when you never had run before or the first time you raced and like, really, you know, how, where you are now is a place you would have dreamed to have been, you know, one year ago, two years ago, however long it would have been. Um, yeah. And just, you know, realize, like really thinking about timelines and expectations and, and looking at that, that why, and, um, you know, just exploring a little bit about, um, yeah, why the timeline, the expectations around the timeline are what they are and can we shift those expectations in any way? And, um, yeah, really thinking about that and trying to highlight other, um, mode, other like ways to identify progress and other things to celebrate, um, and maybe other things to focus on. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I think that can be really helpful. Um, you know, when you're, you're struggling in the moment, dealing with an injury, um, dealing with some tough training and you're not feeling like maybe you are, are progressing as tangibly as you'd like, it's hard to, um, yeah, just take a breath and be like, I know things are happening behind the scenes at a cellular level. Like I know that these investments are going to yield more tangible outcomes, like where I can actually feel like I've progressed. It's hard to, to trust that. I think for a lot of athletes, um, particularly like we get stuck in, as we talked about in, in kind of like the finite and infinite game conversation, you know, 
as humans, we, we want to feel like those results as soon as possible right away. Um, and I think that's especially true when things are hard. Like we want to move through it really quickly. We almost expect that um, we can get through the tough feelings and the, the runs that don't feel good and whatever life is throwing at us, we kind of expect to get through that quickly. At least I do. Um, and so that's not always the case. Um, I think for me, you know, that looking back process that you mentioned can be super helpful of just being like, you know, five years ago, I could, I was only running five miles. I couldn't run uphill. I, you know, had to, I ran the downs, but I never ran the ups. Like, I don't know, just like thinking about where you were before. And it's like, wow, now like I'm running like 10, 12 miles every day. Like that's incredible. You know, like even though I don't feel like progress is happening now, like look at this tangible progress that has happened like over time. Um, I think that it's super important for athletes. And we say this a lot, like when athletes are pushing back, uh, when athletes are like not feeling like they're um, progressing as quickly as they, you know, can, if I could guarantee, you know, uh, if I could just be like, Hey, here's the timeline for your progression as an athlete, you're at, day one at microcosm and by day uh 60 you will be running 730 miles like it's not realistic to think about that because we all are physiologically different biolog like our biology is different we each have individual talents that um sometimes take longer to express themselves in the context of of running and so like putting you know timelines on this kind of stuff is really risky. So I would definitely recommend to athletes like, wow, what's your expectation on, on, on like, when do you, when, why do you feel like you expect these things to happen now? Uh, you know, running is really a long-term pro like process. And if it was like advantageous for us as a business to be like, you have to sign a five-year contract because that's how long it's going to take <laughs> to get better. I would absolutely do that because I love it when athletes are bringing like that long-term zoomed out perspective, like coach Drew mentioned earlier to, to the table. Um, because when you're looking at things in those terms, I think it really starts to take the pressure off um, rather than being like week to week progress or training block to training block progress or even race to race coach uh, Drew. I know you had something you wanted to contribute. Yeah. So just so we're all on the same page too. listening to coach Sarah and uh, uh, TJ talk about looking back, it's such a useful tool being able to do that, but just don't get in the habit of looking back like a week from now or, or two weeks be like, well, why, why am I not getting better? I've run every day for or every run scheduled run for the last month. And I just don't feel like I've gotten a lot better in the last 30 days. That'd be like weighing yourself when you're on a, you know, nutrition plan to lose weight, weighing yourself every two days. It doesn't work like that. Uh, physiological adaptation, neurological adaptation, all this stuff takes time. And so you've heard Sarah and you heard TJ talk about a year ago or five years ago or whatever the deal is. So don't, don't fall into the pitfall of only looking back to like, well, in January, I was running six miles and this pace. And now I'm still running six miles at this pace. Like, why aren't I getting better? It takes time. And it oftentimes it takes a lot of time. So trying to be patient. And when you look back, look back far. Yeah. I I'm reading this amazing book about Roger Federer. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know him, he is the greatest tennis player ever, one of the greatest athletes of all time, uh, one of the most like 
like some incredible longevity in a sport that normally athletes don't have longevity in. When he was young, a lot of his coaches said he wasn't progressing um, fast enough. He wasn't on the same timeline as other champions. He's 20 years old. He hadn't won many ATP titles yet. He hadn't won any majors, hadn't won any gold medals at the Olympics when his peers in the past had already won like multiple grand slams and things like that. And he had a lot of faith and trust in his coaching team who had a very long-term vision for him and knew, you know, based on his individual needs, it was going to take longer for him to progress to the level that they, they knew he was capable of. And even through all those setbacks, like the first three or four years of his career, he won, he didn't win a lot of matches, lost a lot of tight matches um, he stayed grounded in, in like trusting his team, his advisors, um, trusting that long-term vision and approach and cultivation for like his individual talents. And those, obviously a lot of people didn't think he was going to amount to anything. And, uh, for those of you who know him, he's amounted to quite something, um, which is pretty amazing. So everybody has their own individual timeline. We don't know when these things are going to click or happen. Um, there are some like rough guide posts that we have, you know, like around 500 days in the log, we tend to see some pretty big breakthroughs from athletes. Um, but that's not always the case. So we don't want to like be beholden to like those expectations. We don't want to put those on ourselves. Um, and I think it's especially important, like with what coach Drew mentioned, like when you look back, like really look back on, um, don't judge yourself on like the last couple of weeks you know, you're making small investments every day that add up to really big things over larger amounts of time than um, probably like society and culture, like really pushes us to believe. Um, and so like really dream big. Yeah. So you want the last word on this? Yeah, I mean, you know, something I've been thinking of a lot lately are like the recent American records set by Sarah Hall, Kira D'Amato, Camille Heron, like women in their late 30s who like started families, started careers, weren't necessarily like the best when they were running in college. And both like both Sarah Hall and Kira DeMond and actually even Camille Heron kind of took steps after their collegiate running careers to just like do other stuff, right? But like Camille Heron just turned 40. This was her first race as a master and she broke her own world record, right? Like something she had been chasing for over a decade. Like that's, if something really matters to you, there's no timeline, right? Like you will chase it until you get there, right? And like, it doesn't have to be an American record, obviously, but I think that like so often when I see athletes unwilling to take time with goals, what that says to me is this doesn't actually matter to you because if it did, you would take that decade that you needed to do the thing, you know, whatever it was, like you'll take that time. And like, that's what it takes to be not even just the best in the world, but like to be your best, like this stuff takes years and years and years. And if you're not willing to give it years and years and years, then like my honest assessment is that your heart's not really in it. And that's okay. Like, you know, we don't all love running the way that like Camille does, but like some of us do, like I do like that. I, I identify with that. Like I want to spend a decade on my goals. I'm willing, like, I want to be, you know, that I want to be like, I want to be breaking records when I'm a master. Like, that's what I'm trying to set myself up for right now. So like, what are you going to do today to be your best in a decade? Like, what do you care about today that you're willing to spend a decade working towards?
Oh man. Yeah. Can we rewind that and play that again? I think it's so important. Um, Zoe just said it so well, uh, Gosh, and I love those illustrations of these kind of like quote unquote um, aging athletes just continuing to crush it. And, you know, so much of that is like, what are the stories that these women are telling themselves? Like the story is I can still improve. I can still progress. I can still go after big goals. I mean, there is two no years timeline. ago, Kira D'Amato didn't have a running sponsor. She was like emailing tracksmiths to get like free tank tops and shit. Doesn't care. Like she's out there being a real estate agent training her ass off every single day, being a mom, working like a full-time job, and then deciding like, I'm going to break the American 10 mile record. I'm going to break the American. Um, I'm going to set the American marathon record. And then like uh. Sarah Hall also, like she adopted four kids from Ethiopia. Like she is a busy mom. And I rem- she has this amazing piece in the New York times where she reflected on like seeing her husband, Ryan Hall, break the American record. And she was like, it came so easy for him. And I knew it was going to be different for me. And she kept chasing it anyway. Like, even though her partner's story was one thing, she was like, fuck that. I'm telling my own story. It's a longer story, but like, I'm willing to see it through. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the best things are the things that um, are the most challenging because that gives, gives us so like that whole journey, so much color and context. And when you finally get to that finish line that you've been working, you know, years for, um, you know, that that feeling of elation that you feel it's it's about that whole cumulative journey. It's not just about that one race. Um, yeah. If you can rewind this, listen to what Zoe said. Think about that. Ruminate on that a little bit, um, because I think it's really important and it really sums up. Um, kind of what all of us as coaches have, are trying to get athletes to understand. And um, especially in the context of like, how do we prioritize their goals? How do we stay grounded in our training when things are tough? How do we, you know, work through difficult times? Um, yeah. Well, thank you guys. That was a really enjoyable call. We'll see you on Friday. Bye.